Levels. Hi! My name is Matt and I have levels. Welcome to the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome with Wendy Bolsby and Melissa Kirscher. Listeners to Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. I am Melissa, and this is Wendy, and we are uh, your weekly co-hosts. But this week we are also joined by Matt Kesson. Hi, I'm Matt Kesson of Reverend Matt's Monster Science. Look it up online. And we will. <laughs> We're just going to get that out of the way. I won't do that again. I'll do that again next week, but I'm not going to do that again now. We will. Um, we will also link that in our show notes. Wow. Okay. Great. Because you know, for the ten people who no, we, I think it might be twenty now who listen. I, I think so. In half of them. Are named Brian. <laughs> I would like to do a Venn diagram on our listeners. <laughs> listeners, listeners who are named Brian. Right. So, Ryan, yeah. this week we'll be talking about. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm just taking over. Go, no, no, go. no, it's no, fine. It's fine. No, you, you take it, man. This week, this week we'll be talking about uh, the films of Guillermo del Toro. This was uh, this was one of the requests that I made when they asked me to. Uh, to, to be a, a co-host, because Guillermo del Toro is the only director who's made more than, like, one or two films where I've seen all of his films. And it's still, <laughs> and that's still, like, eight, isn't it? That's still, like, what? not a lot. Well, well one, I mean, two, that's two. what helps, is if they don't make eight. a lot. Well, exactly, right. It is yeah, eight. That's the, but, you know, I, like, I, haven't seen, I haven't seen Jackie Brown, so I haven't seen all of Tarantino's films. Have I seen all of Tarantino? No. I feel like I've missed one or two of Tarantino. Really? Well, I can fix that. It's just Jackie well, I, Brown. Well, I just sort of assume I haven't seen them all, but maybe I have. There aren't that many. Right. And that's I, what I'm saying. It's, I think I may have seen... It's a similar... Li- okay. List off all the Del Toro films. Well, first there was Kronos, uh, 1993. Which I saw. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mimic. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Devil's Backbone. Mm-hmm. Blade 2. Mm-hmm. Hellboy. Mm-hmm. Pan's Labyrinth. Mm-hmm. Hellboy 2, The Golden Army. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And Pacific Rim. I have seen all of his films. Yay! 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 What happens? Yes. Yahtzee! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> High fives all around. Excellent. Okay, sorry, but, that just never happens. Usually I'm, right. I, I, I'm more of a dilettante. I'm more of a renaissance geek. Well, that's what I'm saying. Is that, yeah, a, little of, a little bit of everything. There isn't another director where I've seen all of their films. So uh, so that's 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 a hell of a thing. But, yes. And, yeah, and Del Toro is amazing. So, uh, so. He is. Mm-hmm. Is it his Hispanicness? Well, that's racist. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do think his accent plays into it somewhat. I, well, no, well just personally. I, I mean, I was being somewhat facetious, but <laughs> there is there because he obviously is represented. He was raised in a different culture, uh, which you really see in like in Pan's Labyrinth. That's that's well, uh, well, Pan's Labyrinth and Devil's Backbone, I think, share a yeah. lot of common DNA. Well, they they have that. Um, they're, well, they're both set in the Spanish Civil War. Well, and they they have that mm-hmm. mysticism that I associate yeah. with, like like water for chocolate. Yeah, there's a strain of mysticism in Mexican culture, fantastical but, elements. Sure, and but Del Toro is Spanish, right? Yes, yeah. 
I, and I know that, but I'm wondering if like, because I don't know, but I'm wondering like, what, what are the ties there, yeah, the cultural ties between that sort of worldview? Is Kronos also set in the Spanish Civil War? Because I thought I'd heard. No, I thought no, it was, no, it was, it was, it was yeah, modern okay. day, right. modern day. Yeah, I mean, it's dated now, but. Yeah, but. I it, thought I'd heard somewhere about there, there being, a, I've seen Kronos, I've seen Kronos, I'm discrediting myself, but uh, it was a long time ago that I saw oh, Kronos. Oh, it's same here. Yeah, um, and it has Ron Perlman, and Ron Perlman is rad, and it has a machine that's kind of like, looks like a beetle, and it's kind of a steampunky sort of thing that makes you immortal, and other than that, I don't really remember too much about it. Yeah, I, I pretty much remember the, the golden beetle thing, and yeah. Ron Perlman, and I remember a Ron black Perlman and white checkered floor. Oh, okay, yeah. I remember I remember Cronus being super stylish and I remember really loving it. Yeah, oh absolutely, yeah. And I remember reading about it on a list. Um I remember reading about it on some list somewhere and going, Oh, I should watch that. And for the longest time not realizing that that was a Del Toro film. And what I really remember is watching it and like about a third of the way in going, oh, This is a vampire story. Oh yeah. And, uh, yeah. Uh, oh, it's a vampire. Oh, this is awesome. <laughs> yeah, it, it's like a stealth vampire story. Yeah, yeah. It kind of sneaks you, up you on st- you. And you're like, what? Yeah, uh, oh, we didn't need to tell them what we're drinking. Oh, we do. Week. We do. We do. So this week we are drinking. We, we're doing a callback to our way back to our uh, film noir episode, which I believe was episode five. Uh, we are back to the bottle of Lafroy. Cardias? Cardias. Cardias? I don't know. I don't Cardias. speak. Lafroy. It, it's a special special edition of Lafroy, which is an Isley single malt scotch whiskey. And um, I believe I said it then and I will still say it now. It tastes like somebody set a library on fire and then buried it in a peat bog. Yeah, it's like it's like sinking to the bottom of a swamp in Scotland and then just and then just sucking up as much as you possibly can. Yes. And uh, it's amazing. fire. And there's a little bit of salt. Because it's very smoky. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It is super, super tasty. So yes, that will be what we will be drinking today. What we are drinking. What we have have been drinking. And I'm going to point out that I have to keep drinking it because every time I try to put the glass down, Melissa... tells me not to do it because it makes a thumping noise so then i just have to take another drink well yep. yeah it's um i'm i'm a terrible influence <laughs> wendy will be well ahead of us tonight <laughs> oh dear we've done that before <laughs> oh, sweet Jesus. That, that sounds familiar <laughs> all right so del toro so what was so, the yeah. first del toro film you saw um mimic yeah same here. interesting mimic because I saw it um, because I was into, you know, because creatures and sci-fi and what the hell. Well, sure. it was the first one it is to get, you know, a big release. In, yeah. yeah mm-hmm. in, um, uh, in America. It wasn't particularly good. No. There were, things, there were things I like about Mimic. I, yeah. I like the concept of it. I like that the lead scientist is a woman. And I like that the concept is that there's this disease that's killing kids in, what is it, New York City? No, probably. A, a big city. Yeah. And uh, they decide to fight the disease, which is carried by cockroaches by engineering this organism that's killing the cockroaches and it gets out of hand. So, I mean, it's that, wow, this would be a really interesting way to fight this problem in the real world. Sure. And then, it's you know, of course, you know, also applying giant, that. Giant well, I believe we've yeah. all learned that science is bad. Science, well, science yeah. wrecks everything. Yeah. Um, Fucking science, man. See, I but but, I, but I, if I remember right, Mimic doesn't quite take that tack, even though... It is a science gone wrong story. There, 
it, it's not necessarily shunning science. Oh, sure. No, no, no. It's like yeah. the 50s, you know, science gone wrong yeah. stories where where the way that you deal with science gone wrong is, science gone mad is with yeah. science gone even madder still, which, yes. is, which is the best. And, of course, guns, because, you know, America. Yeah. But the issues I had with Mimic were just kind of, that was uneven, and it kind of ripped off some other movies. Yeah, and no, yeah. Really it just liked. lacked polish. This yeah. actual concept was fun. Yeah. Well, the thing is, is that he's, I mean, Del Toro himself has all but disowned it. I mean, uh, Del Toro has spoken about how he dislikes what happened with that movie because mm-hmm. he was interfered with by the studio to some huge degree. And uh, and that's sad, obviously. So I'm actually a little bit... Uh, I don't. Th- I certainly don't think it's his best work, but... Uh, well, I think it, it probably is his worst work, you know, when just taking in his... The films he directed. I mean, it's the bottom rung. It's of the, the bottom rung, but it's still not a complete. Turn. It's not, oh, yeah, it's not my. See, it's not my least favorite of his. It's not my least favorite. Oh, of his. really? Yeah. Which one? Uh, Golden Army. Right. Oh, Gold, interesting I got, choice. I got. I got. I got quarrel with Gold, Golden Army. It's okay. not a bad. Again, yeah. not well, a bad film. Yeah. But we'll, uh, we'll, come, we'll circle back to that one. Yes, when of course. We get to um, it. But yeah, I quite like Mimic. I mean, you know, Del Toro has beef with it, and uh, mm-hmm. and you know, and it is uneven, and there are problems with it. But uh, it's a solid little monster movie. It's a solid little monster movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's some dumb stuff in it, but, but I like the bugs, and it's yeah. A, but it's, he it's has fun. a visual style he really likes for his creatures. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah oh, and he he loves his creatures. I mean, oh, it's yeah. not just—it's oh, yeah. not just let's make a creature and scare the shit out of people. He loves creatures. Oh, he he yeah. has this love affair with monsters. Well, he's well, got, I mean, even the way you can tell from the way he films it, he's yeah. like, "Look at what this can do," and then this bit comes out. Yeah, look at it yeah. glisten. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's well, it's not quite pornographic. It's kind of like that eight-year-old awe of monsters. I do feel like it is. It may not be pornographic, but it might be that sort of Star Trek soft screen sort of, oh. oh. <laughs> Have you guys seen the thing that's, I think it's been on a couple of his DVDs, where he's got this house. It's not like the house he lives in. Uh, but, but he's, he's got, got a house. He's got a house that's just full of monster stuff. That's I like believe full that. Of monster paintings and monster, and, and a lot of it is like movie memorabilia, actual props and stuff from movies, and it's just wall-to-wall, floor-to-ceiling, and it's just choked with it. And there's this thing, I think it's on a couple of the DVDs of his movies where he takes you takes you on a tour of it. Yeah. Wow. And I watched this a while ago, and uh, and I just wanted to write him a letter that said, Dear Mr. Del Toro, my name is Matt Kesson, and I'm going to come and live in your house. We can do this the easy way, or we can do this the hard way. I mean, the... the uh, <laughs> well, well, no, no, no. The, the way you do is this amazing. is... I, sir, I, I have worked in security for X many years. <laughs> I would like to offer my services. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, honest, you, you don't have to pay me much <laughs> yep. for me to live in your house. Yeah. <laughs> house full of monsters. This, this is a win-win, I think, for both of us. <laughs> and that's the thing. I mean, that's the thing about Del Toro, though, is that is that he is, I mean, he's just this huge fanboy one way or the oh, other. And God, just the he's, biggest fanboy in the world. And so, he's uh, crazy. Oh, he's, so it works. Oh, my God. Okay, that's what happens. But he's brilliantly there, crazy. There, there are stories that I repeat that came from Mr. Christopher Jones, who was at San Diego the year before Hellboy came out. I was at that. Conference. You were at that one, so you yeah. probably saw some of this stuff I happen. Did. Do you want? I... Do you want to take these no, stories? You, you, you will. Okay, so so one of them was uh, my fellow Americans were present when Harry Knowles and Guillermo del Toro met. Or ah. I mean, they'd met before, but they saw each other in the hallway or wherever. And, oh, sure. And Guillermo's reaction to seeing Harry Knowles of the Cool News was, Harry, you fat fog! I like you because you have giant man titties like me! And he runs up and he starts squeezing Harry's chest. And that 
is Guillermo del Toro. Yeah, yeah. And then there was he was on a panel with Ron Perlman, yes. and he was telling he was telling why he wanted Ron Perlman to play Hellboy, and it was because of that voice. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, but what did he say? You probably remember it better because about about Ron Perlman's voice, why he wanted. Because he, the way he phrased well, it, was like, the, well, I remember, I remember the story. I think this this panel is actually on one of the Hellboy DVDs now, so you can mm. probably dial it up and see it for yourself. I but I, re- I remember that I remember the quote of him wanting to work on Hellboy because Mignola was also on the panel, Mike Mignola, and he said he said he really wanted to work on Hellboy because Hellboy is this sort of book that you just want to poke your dick into. That was it. <laughs> You just want to poke your dick into it. And the, and the look on Mike Mignola's face is really <laughs> remarkable. Wow. How vivid. <laughs> and, and then, and then they also exactly did... exactly my goal, but all right. It was also the same uh, panel where they revealed the statue, the maquette of Abe Sapien. So it was like everybody's oh. first look at Abe Sapien. And they revealed the statue, and Guillermo just looks at him and he goes... He is so beautiful. I am fat and ugly. Did <laughs> 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 you ever come to Bnat to show us Pacific Rim footage? Because oh, I know he was he, there for Mama. I he, feel like was he was there for there. Mama because he was producer. I feel like he's been at Bnat for. That's the only time I remember him being at Bnat. Okay, but he he very well might have been there because, because I've I was sleep deprived him, for like, a lot of it in a much like more much, intimate, more intimate, yeah. and he was like five rows away, and he's still a movie like Mama, which is a great horror movie, and he's still like just oh the studio oh and they turn out fucking blah blah, and you're just watching. <laughs> I wrote down so many quotes of just. Wow, you have a way with words. <laughs> wow. How vivid. I may have to dig out my notes and we can put them in the show notes of like, these are things he said. The English language is just a language I want to poke my, my dick into. <laughs> 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 All right. So, so, uh, so going back to, let's see, I think we covered Mimic, but we haven't touched on Devil's Backbone yet. Devil's okay. Backbone is cool. I, yes. I loved Devil's Backbone. It was so moody. Yeah. Yeah, 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 I mean, yeah. it was just, it was a, a movie that was very slow and quiet yeah. and didn't bother me. Because it's, yeah, it gets a oh, big sure, problem yeah. sometimes yeah. with really slow, quiet, you know, moody films. I'm like, okay, this is good. This is good. Moving along a little bit. Seriously. Come on, people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, not in this case. But, no. oh, and it was so spooky yeah. and, and ghosty. And, and it's a really unique sort of storyline. Yeah. I mean, I... I'm so jaded at watching movies that, you know, half the time I'm like, all right, I know this plot. Even though I've never seen this movie before, I know this plot. Devil's Backbone was like, I don't quite know what's going on. I'm not sure if you're a good guy or a bad guy. I'm not sure what your motives are. Not yeah, sure who's, who's going to live and who's going to die. Oh, and, uh, yeah. yeah and oh, the thing I find most remarkable about Del Toro is there seems to be a very clear delineation before about the stuff that he makes uh, for the American market and the stuff he makes in his oh, native absolutely. language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the stuff he makes in Spanish is high art. Absolutely, yeah. Oh, yeah. And and the stuff he, he makes for the American audiences is like the fun monster movie stuff. Well, and yeah. it's, it's a lot more... <laughs> it's a lot more Bruckheimer. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Totally. It's, it's yeah. just louder. It's bigger. It's brasher. It and it, uh, and it has a simplicity. Yeah. Um, right. But but you get to Devil's Backbone, which is set in this. What was it boys' orphanage yeah. during the Spanish Civil Spanish War, Civil War yeah. and you know the new boy in town is the son of this deceased uh, Republican hero, right. and they're kind of sheltering him, and it, there's there's a lot of like political intrigue going on. At the same time, it's there, kind of haunted house though. There's also a haunted there's house the, element. Well, uh, with isolation yeah. as well, you know. I mean, it's like oh, yeah. as I remember, it's this building in the middle of a desert, you know, yeah, with nothing in and any direction. And, yeah. That bomb as this sort of centerpiece visual metaphor of just when's it going to blow? Yeah. 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 Oh. And it's such a, such a remarkably constructed movie. Yeah. 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 Well, and so when, you, when you look, Del Toro is fascinating the way he works, not just with child actors, but the child characters he creates. Oh, sure. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, because yeah. there's the boys. Right. In that film, there's obviously the little girl in Pan's Labyrinth. And even in Pacific Rim, his characterization in the backstory oh, for sure. um, What's her name? the female character. Yeah. The girl. The yes. girl. Nico? Mi Nico? We don't it's remember. It, it, I honestly can't remember any of the character names in that film. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's the Gypsy, white guy. There's Gypsy the Danger other white is guy. What the robot's called. Yeah, we know Gypsy Danger. <laughs> we know Crimson Typhoon. <laughs> yeah. And, and I love the Russian robot so much, but that's yeah. jumping ahead. That's jumping ahead. Mm -hmm. um, even the, the backstory, even just in the backstory, you can tell he gets kids. Yeah. See, yes, absolutely. Because I mean, his kids are, his kids are smart, but they're still, you know, childlike. Yeah. He doesn't yeah. shy away from showing the complexity of what children feel. Children right, right. feel horror and terror and curiosity and, yeah. and yeah, they also get the magic and the wonder and the blah, but we don't want to believe our children are feeling these darker emotions. But they are. But they are. Mm -hmm. they, children feel rage. Right. Children feel these things. And it's so great. I feel like I would love for Del Toro and Neil Gaiman to do a project. Well, together. I mean, they, they, yeah. Del Toro was attached uh, to uh, to The Hobbit for a while. Mm -hmm. And I think that would have been amazing myself for the oh, same I reason. Oh, I think so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because, of course, The Hobbit is a children's book more so than Lord of the Rings. And uh, and I, I really could have seen uh, yeah. Del Toro taking, bringing that sensibility to and, it. And I think Peter Jackson's worst instincts are coming to light in The Hobbit. Yeah, I could go on. Yeah, we, uh, yeah. Del Toro's The Hobbit, I mean, it didn't go very far, but it would have been interesting as anything. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, and I bet there wouldn't have been three of them. There certainly wouldn't have been three of them. <laughs> I would have been, I, I'm on the record saying I would have been fine with two because for yeah. all that it's a short book, it is jam-packed with, with crazy stuff happening. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot that happens. Two would have made sense. Three is pure masturbation. And while he was doing it, Del, while, while he was attached to it, Del Toro said, was talking about Smaug and he said that the, uh, he he said that the best dragon that had ever appeared in live action cinema was uh, was Vermithrax pejorative from Dragon Slayer, which is true. He's right about that. So, uh, so, <laughs> well, so Del Toro's got his facts correct as far as dragons are concerned, and he would have done, yeah. done a he would have done a good smile. So, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I alas, did not even know alas, the dragon and Dragon Slayer had a name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and of course, Matt knows the movie. it. Yeah, because um, that's a Peter McNichol. Yes, right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, There's a lot I like about that movie. Yeah, I really. Well, I, he's right about it being the best dragon that's ever been in a movie, to this day. To this day. Yes, absolutely. But again, 
not Guillermo del Toro. Not, 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 not del Toro. Okay, so, so after Mimic. So, yeah. Blade... Two. Now, Blade Two, of course, is uh, Blade Two was sort of a proof of concept for Del Toro, where yes. uh, where what Del Toro at this point Del Toro was already planning on making Hellboy, yeah. um, mm-hmm. and he was interested in like he, there were techniques that he wanted to use in Hellboy, but that that he kind of had to invent. Specifically, I know he like the sort of I mean, if you look at the comic, uh, Mignola is sort of this bananas chiaroscuro sort of thing. You know, there, there's there's things that are lit and then solid blackness. Which is uh, yeah. which is hard to uh, hard to create on film, and uh, and I know that Del Toro was looking for that, and so he was trying to throw that into Blade Two, and so yeah. a lot of what was going on in Blade Two was in trying stuff out in in aid of eventually making Hellboy. Yeah, um, and I I found Blade Two to be fairly interesting. I mean, it, it's a little uneven, but. I recently went back and rewatched a couple of the Blade movies, and the thing that strikes me about the first one is, while it's fun, oh boy, it doesn't hold together well upon sure. rewatching. It's not that great. No, there there are moments in Blade too that are really interesting, They're really amazing. Yeah, yeah, at some moments of of tension and and style, and there's there's that one scene where one of the characters is trapped in the van and the oh yeah go, i love that scene right that's an amazing just that little scene is wonderfully tense right and what very well constructed and i remember that may have been the first guillermo del toro movie i saw was blade 2 okay, sure. and i remember seeing bits of it and going oh whoever's helming this kind of knows it's it interesting yeah because the thing with the del toro film is when you watch it you notice you have a very definite signature visually and and the feel, but also just even the pacing, the way he cuts and the angles he yeah. chooses. There's a there is a style to his movies that like it they can be uneven, but they still they still manage to be engaging. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. No, I remember I, I saw the first Blade movie pretty much under duress. It looked really stupid to me. Um, yeah. And, but some people dragged me to see to see Blade, and it was it was you know it was amusing. And so and yeah. and I told people after and, and and I said after we saw Blade, I said uh, that was the best possible movie in which Wesley Snipes hunts vampires, um, <laughs> which yeah. I meant at the time. But I was wrong because then a couple of years later they came up with an even better movie in which Wesley Snipes hunts vampires. <laughs> so, <laughs> about Blade Two nice was work. the the jaw. Yeah, well, yeah. we were talking about monster yeah, cause you, porn because you have I mean, the those, those, and those Harry Knowles jaws. even in his review was just drooling about you know the vagina face. That's yeah. what he called yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the concept of there's a monster that's worse and hunts both humans and vampires. Yeah, arg. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean that's a great thing to pull in. Oh, yeah, yeah. I I need humans and vampires to work together to get rid of that. Holy shit! What yeah. the hell is that about? <laughs> and then to create a monster that is truly disturbing visually. And I feel like JJ JJ Abrams. That's that's a guy. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a person. Yeah. I, but I feel like JJ did JJ pick it up from Del Toro or was it just a zeitgeist thing? I think it's a zeitgeist thing. I, I, don't I mean, think that, so. it showed. It, I mean, there's no such there's, thing as zeitgeist. Well, there's such a thing as zeitgeist, but somebody has to invent it in the first place. And I'm not. But sometimes, just because everything's moving in that direction, that people come up with the same idea. Yeah, it does happen. I at suppose. the same time, that sort of just 
petal phase that yeah con- that, convergent evolution but, yeah, that all the all the orifices open out and then even worse things but emerge. blade two is simply before any of the abram stuff yeah you know? so yeah. maybe abrams probably saw blade two but you know you know, you know predator predated that so. that's true and it had kind of yeah it had it had a little bit but i feel like the del toro took it and made it worse because i wasn't creeped out by predator it was just alien looking, and and Predator. I appreciated that this was a monster that truly looked like an alien. Right. But the the fucking creature in Blade Two. Well, you don't see like, it coming. You know, it's, got, it's got a face at first, yeah. and then. Yeah. <laughs> oh um, Jesus! It's why? terrific. Oh. <laughs> and maybe that is it. It looks human, and then that happens, and you're like, "Oh, sweet Jesus!" Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, no, no. no. I, I think it's much more effective in that they walk around looking like people, and then ah, the face. Comes apart, yeah. No, that's that's yeah. we were, like I said. We were talking about we were talking about his love for his monsters and how he draws that out, and uh, and that's uh, that's definitely one of them. Yeah. Uh, the vagina the, face, the double vagina vampires. face. Yeah. After that, we have finally Hellboy. Hellboy, which I which I deeply love. Me too. I mean, it's it's not a perfect film, no. but I'm a big fan of the Hellboy comics. Me too. I I adore Mike Mignola as a creator, and Hellboy is kind of a comics property that was laser aimed at the pleasure centers of my brain it's everything (laughs) i could ever possibly want in a comic you've got this amazing artwork Mm. you have very subtle very uh very stylized very very stylized very boiled down and simple and beautifully colored by dave stewart and and these stories that are both very Lovecraftian and hilarious. Well, yes. Oh my God, well, I, I, mean, love way, I, love Manuel, I love it! I love it! I love it! The way Mignola is able to do Lovecraft at one point, and then like folklore, like folklore yes. type stuff. One, like one thing that Mignola is amazing at is that he does he throws stuff in there. He throws actual folkloric references, and then he throws up made up bullshit folkloric references, mm-hmm. and uh, and you can't tell them apart. Yeah, because oh he gets that vibe so well um, of of the of the of how weird the old folklore tends to be and so and so he does that and he does the lovecraft type stuff and then there's nazis and mm-hmm. uh, it's just and it's, crazy it's crab hand yeah uh, uh, lobster, johnson. Johnson. Yes. lobster johnson i love lobster johnson so <laughs> much johnson yeah. i want a spin-off story with lobster johnson a as a movie ah, as yes, a movie yes, i want yes. lobster johnson you want the lobster johnson spin-off no i yeah. mean manuel is an amazing artist obviously i mean i mean i guess maybe not obviously hey everybody mike manuel is an amazing artist but i mean but really in hellboy especially as that went on i thought he became one of the greats as far as a writer was concerned oh, I yeah mean, just really moving serious powerful stuff and, oh yeah uh, there was and at the same time hilarious epic tragedy going on there that mm-hmm. really really worked um i remember when i was first discovering hellboy there was a uh, the the comic that is there was a specific page that i that i saw that was like okay all right, I'm in. And it was, a, it was a, a page with three panels in it, and there was a panel on the top, and a, a, a homunculus, a giant artificial man, had been uh, had been set on fire, and and he was he was basically down to a skeleton. So the top panel is this giant flaming skeleton, kind of slowly tipping forward, and then there's a then there's a panel on the lower lower left when you're looking at it, which which is the skull on, on fire of the giant homunculus tipping forward, and then the final panel is Hellboy and Kate Corrigan. Mm-hmm. Um, Kind of down at the bottom of a big tall panel, looking up at the at the giant skeleton, and Hellboy says, "Yeah, screw you." <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, "Okay, all right, yep, I'm in." 
So yeah, the, the Hobart comic is amazing, yes. and it's right up Del Toro's alley. You know, oh, yeah, yeah. It's it's the combination of the horror and the, the comedy horror and the, and the comedy and the fantastical. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, just the whimsy of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Del Toro has a whimsy. Del Toro likes his horror with a touch of the silly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that is exactly the right tone for yeah. the, the movie. There there are a couple parts in the movie, the, the first movie, which are a little awkward and don't quite gel quite right. But I, agree, yeah. but I think it's a fairly solid film considering that you're taking very stylized, kind of difficult to adapt source material and turn it into something that's very alien to well, comics. I mean, and also, and, let's be honest, the storylines in Hellboy tend to be either so long or so... Short. So long or so short, and then... They a lot of them, if they're if the longer ones, they don't resolve neatly, and yeah, that they, doesn't lend itself to a nice, neat movie package, right? And the the other thing about Hellboy is that the comic is that it works like an H.P. Lovecraft story, and you get more from what is not seen and what is not said, right? And it feels like a very lived in universe, even though you see just a tiny little corner of it through these yeah. comics yeah, yeah, panels. Yeah, yeah. And that's very hard to do in a movie. Or, or rather, it's very hard to find people who are restrained enough to be able to make that work. To manage it, yeah. yeah. And Teltoro's pretty good Pretty good. It. I mean, it's not. It's, it's certainly not the same mood as far as that's concerned, as the comics are concerned. Yeah. But, uh, well, and again, he was making it for an American audience. Right. Bigger this is one of his big, big American things, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder what the movie would have been like if he'd made it just exactly the way he liked. Well, it's hard well, to say. Um, well, there was there was an a there was actually a um, an animated series, The Amazing Screw on Head, was it? Yeah, they, and well, I mean that wasn't the pilot. Yeah. yeah, and just the pilot, and the that was remarkable adaptation of Mignola's material, Absolutely and then right, that's yeah. kind of what I wished Hellboy had been. Right, but I mean that's kind of unfair because that's animated and very much beholden to Mignola's style, whereas. Yeah, they were just yeah. trying to get a sci-fi series, you know, yeah. rather than be a big, a big summer movie, you know. Right. So uh, right, very, very different audience there. Yeah. Well, and I mean, an animated series can do his style better because it's drawn. Right. <laughs> what's, what's one thing that's interesting to me about Hellboy is that the uh, is that the the monster the uh, what they what were they, what were they called again? It was named after a single god, but they made a they made a species oh, out of it. Yeah. The kind oh, of okay. ape reptile with the tentacle hair. Yeah. And, uh, um... Samuels, Samuels, were uh, were a uh, were a Wayne Barlow design mm-hmm. rather than a Mignola design. Even though Mignola did do work on on the design for the film, mm-hmm. and Wayne Barlow does fantastic monster stuff. I mean, Wayne Barlow is a great guy to get in there. And I just think it's it's remarkable that uh, that someone besides Mignola created the the, the, the the signature monster. I love the signature monster in Hellboy. I love the Samuels. They're great. They're these sort of ape-hound reptile things, and they're terrific. Yeah. Um, <laughs> also, how great was the Clockwork Nazi in Hellboy? No, oh, the Clockwork Nazi oh. was, pretty, was pretty terrific. The Clockwork <laughs> Nazi is the name of my They Might Be Giants cover band. <laughs> well, then. Uh, and also, um, Abe Sapien with the movements of Doug Jones and the voice of Niles Frazier. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Crazy, yes. Yep. That was cool. Uh, uh, the, really, the weakest link man, in there for I, me. I'm missing something. Um, the weakest link in there for me was uh, the female. Uh, oh, Selma Blair? Yeah. She, she seemed very bland to me. Yeah. And the thing is, I've seen her in other movies, and she is just so... She's a lot like Tobey Maguire for me. I know he can act, 
But boy, they sort of... of kind of doesn't sometimes. Yeah, Yeah, they sort of default to this sort of, look at me, I'm just watching the action. It's like, hmm, that'd be great if you were actually reacting to what's going on occasionally. Yeah, Yeah, well, well, she wasn't given a whole lot to do in Hellboy either. I, I think... I think she worked better in Hellboy 2 Golden Army. I think just because I, yeah, I think that that character was written a little bit better in that movie oh, for oh, for all of its flaws. It yeah, she wasn't given a whole lot to do, but that said, I feel like she has a quietness at her center that makes it very hard to engage with her when you're watching her. Right. Like especially yeah. in something as weird and bombastic as Hellboy. Yeah, right. right. Like, can you imagine, let's say, a Jennifer Lawrence in that role? <laughs> oh, yeah, but, but like I just, oh, that, that, that hits me in the happy places. <laughs> like, picture an actress that we know has a really solid sense of quirk, yeah, right? Sure. That they can play not just funny, but just off kilter. Yeah, 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 sure, sure. Now picture that actress in that movie and and picture that actress playing with Ron Perlman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. As mm-hmm. Hellboy. And suddenly that becomes a much more charming relationship as well. Because honestly, you kind of don't know what Hellboy sees in her. Yeah, no, yeah. it's a bit of a shoe. It's another, it is another, that is one of the flaws in it is that it's yet another, you know, shoehorned. Yeah, there there is zero chemistry subplot. between them. Yeah, whatsoever. and no real point to it even existing in the yeah. first place. So, yeah. uh, so that's yeah. too bad. But, but oh, the but, visual style. Oh, oh yeah, gorgeous. and Ron Perlman is Hellboy. And Ron Perlman, which yeah. we Hellboy. which we have not given proper props to. No, and, and a property that perfect. allows Del Toro again that quirk. And I yeah. get a, I get to have people die and get and get eaten by monsters, but I'm going to giggle about it. You know that he's giggling behind the camera. <laughs> oh yeah, in fat happy glee. And, and you know that Ron Perlman's like right there with him. Oh yeah. Just... <laughs> yeah no, I mean you can you can cover Ron Perlman in eighty pounds of makeup and it still comes through as Ron Perlman. I mean he's he's remarkable in that role. Oh yeah, no, it was perfect. There I read a thing and I think it, I, I don't know whether it's true, it might be anecdotal, but where uh where when uh, Del Toro and Mignola got together to start talking about this, they, there was some sort of thing where they when they said to each other, So who do you they said to each other, Who do you who do you have in mind? For Hellboy, well, who do you have in mind for Hellboy? And they went, and and then they both went, and they said, okay, on the count of three, and they went one, two, three, Ron Perlman. They both, <laughs> <laughs> and they were both right. Uh, of course, they were. Yes, the role he was born to play yeah. among yeah, among yeah. many. Well, good God, I mean, didn't he pretty much start out on Beauty and the Beast that TV? Uh, sure, with show. Linda Hamilton. Yeah, yeah with yeah, Linda yeah. Hamilton yeah, yeah, yeah. in the eighties. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. with yeah. Terminator Hamilton. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, buried in makeup once buried. again. Yeah, yes. yeah exactly. as, as a lion man. As a lion yeah. guy. And he was great. He was and fantastic. He was this is not next in the chronology, but I feel like we could just continue talking about Slip Hellboy 2, yeah. which you don't like. Which Matt. I don't like. Uh, I uh, I don't hate it. I mean, it's a it's a good, it's a watchable film, but it just tips over the... Uh, we were talking about the, uh, the comedy of Hellboy, mm-hmm. um, but the comedy of Hellboy is usually, you know, fairly dry. It's usually, uh, usually, yeah, screw you. Is, yeah. Uh, um, and that's why Perlman is perfect for the role, because he can do that like nobody. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the first thing that I just kind of don't like about Golden Army is that it just gets really goofy, mm-hmm. really over the top with uh, with. Barry Manilow and the mm. music playing while Hellboy falls out of the out of the 
out of the window, and uh, it just gets it just gets really s- silly. And I don't, and again, I've got silly movies. It's just not kind of not what I want from this franchise. Yeah, and and, uh, and yet he had a these... soft spot for Barry Manilow. I couldn't help. It. <laughs> <laughs> the, and the movie did have some real genuine moments of just real beauty. I mean, there there's some great looking there's stuff some there. Beautiful art design, well, but also just some nice emotional beats. Yeah. Too. A few, uh, some. I yeah, don't know. since since you since you had some time to kind of live with the characters with the first movie, they had the opportunity to do a little bit of that stuff. I yeah. mean, it. Yeah, it it you know like, I mean I agree with Matt. It doesn't quite all gel together, but it's you know, not like, a terrible movie. It's not a t- no no no. It's I, not I, bad. You know, if I went over to someone's house and they were watching the Golden Army, I'd be like, okay, okay, let's watch the Golden Army. That's fine. I just it's just I, I I'm not crazy about the over the top goofiness. Well, one place in particular, you know, there's the part where uh, where where Hellboy and Abe are singing the Barry Manilow, and it's just and I don't and there's stuff in the soundtrack that I don't really like, and the and the uh, the complete. Of what's his what's his name the uh, the Jeffrey Tambor character? Oh Jeffrey yeah, Tambor, the Jeffrey Tambor's character is just completely changed between the first and second yeah. film. I mean, he's yeah. got a certain yeah. in the first in the first he's comic because he's fucking Jeffrey Tambor. What do you, you know? Yes, what, uh, what else do you do with but, Jeffrey Tambor? Uh, but there's a there's a menace to him. There's a serious to him. Mm-hmm. He, he 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 has a real point in the in the thing. Whereas he's just pure dumbass comic relief in the second one, which I don't really like. And then the, and then my other thing is it, that it's, the, uh, it's a Marcus Brody syndrome. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. And then there's so I mean there's so much gorgeous design, but for me there's almost too much gorgeous design, which is which relates to what you were saying earlier about how in Hellboy so much is accomplished with what you don't see. Right. Whereas uh, whereas you see the crap out of everything in the Golden Army. And you know, and it's great looking everything, but okay. I do enjoy the sort of horror vibe which is which is one of withholding um that I think gets lost. Oh yeah, in the I mean Army. I much I always prefer yeah, horror yeah. Golden Army got everything. Golden Army got fantastical rather than horror. Right, 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 right. right. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's not you know this is not this is not a thing where you know I'm, I meet somebody whose favorite Del Toro movie is the Golden Army. Fine, terrific. Mm-hmm. You know this is all just a question of taste and expectations. Uh, Although I would judge them a little bit. There are better Del Toro. <laughs> there are a lot better Del Toro movies than Golden Army. So right. what I feel like is there's this sort of thing that's happening here where when he does. Chronos, mm-hmm. uh, Devil's Backbone, Pan's Labyrinth. Right? Yeah. When he can do, when he can make a film in his native language, these artful things that he makes. they hold together and are oh. beautifully crafted, start to finish. And yet, what do we keep saying about the American releases? But eh, it's uneven. There were, I mean, I still like it. It's not a turd. He's too good of a filmmaker to give us something that's an absolute piece of shit. Right. But it, it isn't as cohesive. No. No. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So. Is it a language thing? Is it a studio interference thing? Is it an I assumption th- about American culture? I think, I it's, think it's. I think it's the last. That's what. That's what I'm going to go with. I think it's where the money's coming from. I think in his native language, he's being given money to create these wonderful, ornate, yeah, art films. Essentially, when he comes over to America, he's being given money. To, to make, make a, a crowd pleaser, yeah, to make, a to make an action pleaser. film, yeah. and he's comfortable making both and he's because he's a both. big goofy man, right? And he he just loves making movies and he loves his monsters. I wish he would make. I wish he would make more movies like Mama. And I know yeah. he didn't make Mama. He yeah, he was a producer. It. But I wish that he would make more small. American movies. Well, he's been well. The reason why there's like five years between every movie he makes is because he's 
producing a shitload of things that he doesn't direct. He doesn't direct. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, he's got his fingers and everything, and he's got like eight or nine different movies in the hopper at any given time. Which yay, yeah, yay. it's fantastic. Now, okay, uh, can we agree that Pan's Labyrinth is the best Del Toro film? Yes. All right. We're good. Uh, <laughs> I'm so yeah. glad we didn't have to have a Son fight. of a bitch, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah it, it is, well, yeah, it's everything. It's, it's amazing. So it's everything. Fantastic. Yeah, oh, it, it is a pitch-perfect movie. Yeah. There, there yes. is not a false step Start in that thing. Start to finish. And yeah. the only reason why I like it better than Devil's Backbone is it's somehow meatier and it's just more confident. Yeah, oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I also like it better than Devil's Backbone because it has more monsters in it. This well, is, is and the <laughs> the oh, creativity the of those style of oh, those monsters. Oh, astounding, yeah. The, the pointy hatchet man head guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, the, and the, the, the giant the frog. And the the and giant frog and the eyes on the hands. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, the eyes on the hands. <laughs> just, the, yeah. Who thinks that shit up? That's yeah. brilliant. Yeah, just astounding. I can see you. Oh, and it's it's both nightmarish and wonderful. That is what made it so effective is they weren't just horrifying. They yeah. were also beautiful. Gorgeous. Well, they, Absolutely gorgeous. They, I've got a friend who, who refuses to believe, and he's a, good, he's, he's a good guy, smart guy, one, one of my best friends, and who just refuses to believe that the end of Pan's Labyrinth is what the end of Pan's Labyrinth plainly is. Um, but, <laughs> the, the, the death of the child. The, the death of the child, because it's just too much. Oh, yeah. It's just too hard. And he's, you know, he's, 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 he's not a milk toast. He's, but it he, he watches serious movies, but, but he just can't live, in this case, with... No, the end of it is her moving alive into fantasy land, you know, <laughs> just because that's all he can cope with as far as uh, well, as far well, as very dramatic. Is concerned. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think Which that's is a, a testament to the power of the film. Is what I'm oh yeah, and I, I I think that's very critical to the power of the film is that I I mean in American movies, American movies are just terrified of putting a child in danger. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, really, and um, well, they're, and they're terrified I mean, of actually any protagonist not winning. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. and while the protagonist in Pan's Labyrinth does win, she pays at for it with kind a of a cost. Yeah, it's at yeah, a cost, yeah. and and even ballsier, the film starts with her death. I mean, it is yeah. revealed that I mean, something terrible happens to this young girl, yeah, yeah, and absolutely. then it proceeds from there. Yeah, yeah. all of these quote, quote, ambiguous endings that are actually not all that ambiguous, mm -hmm. right? Because what it reminded me of is Minority Report, mm -hmm. where it seems like it's a happy ending. But if you're paying even half attention, you're like, that is so pat. That is so glossy. That is not what really happened. What did really happen? And you start backtracking. You're like, right there. That's the moment where suddenly it turned into Brazil. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, precisely. Nice. Yeah, oh, yeah, but Van's Labyrinth is an extraordinarily clever movie. But the reason it works is at the center, you have the little girl. The, the little a girl. War. A whole cast of amazing characters. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, you're most invested in the little girl, but also, you know, there's her mother, which you're really invested in, in oh, the housekeeper, played by Mary Del, uh, Maribel, Maribel Verdu, who is amazing. She's one of my uh, favorite actresses of all time. Uh, she was in Itumama Tambian, okay. and she was in Blanca Nieves, which is a Spanish bullfighter version of Snow White, and it's amazing, and you should all watch it. Um, 
It's on Netflix right now, and you should all watch Show it. But right now, it's on Netflix. Show notes. Show notes. Blanca Nieves is fantastic. Netflix I also, I also uh, it was also one of our underappreciated movies a few weeks back. But anyway, uh, Maribel Verdu as the housekeeper that you're super invested in, mm-hmm. and yep. then there's the. Um, it's not a general, but the right. even, the even, new stepfather. Even right. the horrible stepfather is complicated and interesting. Yeah, and, right. and when he gets the when he gets the half Glasgow smile, it's just the worst thing in the world. Yes, it's just terrifying. Oh my god! And and you're you're super invested in all of these characters. I mean, yeah. they're the most terrifying moment in the movie for me, and I. I, I mean, as I mentioned earlier, I'm super jaded with movies. So when a movie actually gets a rise out of me, it's a really rare thing these days. That that scene in the barn with Maribel Verdu when oh, she's Jesus. kind of cornered with the razor. Oh, my God. That That is an amazingly effective scene. Yeah, yeah. Phenomenal. And it's, yeah. And it's because... It's so well constructed and it's so well written and these characters are so well presented. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's the center with which this entire fantasy land revolves around. Mm-hmm. And it is also just simply, and this is in another direction, but as far as I'm concerned, it's just simply Del Toro's best film from a point of view of just creature design. And we've been talking yes. about creature design, we've been talking about creature porn and all that sort of thing, but but this is just the best. There's so much of it. We've we've talked about Pan or the Fawn, and we've talked about the you know the the, the eyes on the hands, we've talked about the frog. There's the there's the uh, There's the Mandrake root. The Mandrake root, exactly, which is scary and awful. Yes. So simple, but so weird and so scary. And then there's the insect turning into the fairy, which is mm-hmm. amazing, which is just astonishing. Uh, um, so, I mean, just everything, all of Del Toro's powers, um, <laughs> all brought to bear, um, at the, at the, at their climaxes, at just their best possible use, so. Uh, I wish a Hollywood would give me child characters like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because I would like to show those characters to my child. I love the movie, and it's not that I think there's anything wrong with showing it to a child. I just know my child is not ready for that. Oh, no, yeah. No, no, no. Well, okay, the kid dies at the end. Yeah, no, yeah. The, the friend of mine who can't deal with the ending is like 44 years old. <laughs> <laughs> but what I would love is for Hollywood to give me a child, a movie with a child star that my child could watch that was like that, oh, that yeah. had that complexity, that had a child who saw the world so clearly from that point of view. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not not this fake adult. Look at me. I'm a child. I'm clever. I'm sassy. I'm yeah. Whatever. Yeah. 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 But, yeah. But also living through some really terrifying real world shit. Right. I mean, this is a this is a kid at the midst of the Spanish Civil War, and it's going on all around her, and you see it happening. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And I I think children's entertainment these days is so sanitized. You don't mm-hmm. see anything like that. You don't. Yeah. Get children's entertainment that shows them that yeah, there's real terrible shit that happens well, in the, the world. It's, one of it's, the and, uh, it's the and whole it's parenting culture is one of sanitate sanitizing of making it as easy as possible for your child of mm-hmm. trying to smooth the path. It's that helicopter but parenting. But that... but the thing is, is when the kid goes sees the entertainment but sees real world horrible things happening. 
they know the entertainment's a lie. They know the right, sanitation right, right, right. is a lie. Right. What else is a lie? I mean, what's happening? I mean, what's happening right now? I mean, it's strange because, like, you take you take Disney, right? Yeah. Uh, which is obviously for children. Um, but Disney historically, and this is nothing like what we're talking about. But Disney historically, you take your villains in the Disney movies, and they're usually scary. You know, right. they're usually big and weird and scary and awful, and they don't, they don't, you know, they don't get Glasgow smiles. They don't murder anyone horribly in front of you or anything like that. But Disney understood that kids were okay with, with being scared, with being yeah. scared, that that was a thing that was good. Um, well, Grimm's fairy tales. And this is getting tales. lost. And this is yeah, yeah, because absolutely. there's there is no. Yeah, great. real villain in like Frozen, right? Right, exactly. Right. But but I th- th- there are other reasons why that worked. But Grimm's fairy tales. I mean, the reason that the, the real Grimm's fairy tales, the non sanitized versions, are terrifying. Oh, they're just gruesome. the worst. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they're gruesome. First of all, because kids love gruesome. Absolutely. But but also they were meant to prepare the kid for a for a rough real world. world. Yeah. yeah, and it's you know. It, terrible things are out there yeah and and this and and the heroes of the day outsmart the terrible things or they conquer them in some way well the best right. grim fairy tales again are solved with wit yes mm-hmm. exactly yeah yeah, yeah. and in bringing this back to pan's labyrinth that's all it's a grim's fairy tale yeah, yes yeah absolutely yeah. So okay, yeah, let's finish up. Okay, we so Pacific Rim. Pacific Rim. Pacific Rim is weird because Pacific Rim is so dumb, so <laughs> dumb, guys. Uh, I love, I love Pacific Rim, but it's just dumb, and uh, I've mixed up. But it, but it, I own like, I own like fifteen blue. I got a Blu-ray player for Christmas last year. I own like, 50, I don't have a lot of Blu-rays yet. But you but got Pacific Rim. Rim is one of them. I like Pacific Rim, but it's just dumbass. <laughs> It's his best native language film. Pacific Rim is his best American film. Oh, that's by weird. Far. Oh, that, I don't know. I don't know if I can agree to that. Uh, I'm not agreeing. Well, it, it, it's possibly really? his most fun. Blade Two because it's it's so, stupid no. fun. I like Hellboy better than Pacific Rim. Okay, fair enough. Um, I and, and I feel like Pacific Rim just, is more is more consistent in what it is doing. I'll grant and, that. And mm. There is no unevenness in tone. That movie is... is <laughs> I'll grant that, yeah. It, um, it is exactly what it is from start to finish. No, and it totally what it is, is, is a pure ejaculation of awesome. Oh, just... <laughs> the, the, I don't know. I have a little tiny bit... I'm a big, I'm a big kaiju guy, right? I'm, I'm very... I've seen, it is awesome. I, I've seen all the Godzilla movies. I'm, I oh, yeah. own all the Godzilla movies. I'm yeah. very, very big into this. And, dear dear uh, listeners, when I told Matt that we'd already done Godzilla as a subject, he was so mad. I was very angry, um, but, uh, but that's, that, you know that's okay. Everything's fine. But the thing, but the thing about it is, is that uh, is that I have a little bit of resentment over <laughs> over uh, Del Toro making a kaiju movie and making it so goddamn dumbass because because there's a certain level because I feel like. He made it. I mean, he made it dumbass on purpose. Del Toro, you know, obviously can make good films, and he made it dumbass on purpose. And don't do that. Come on. How is it dumb? Okay, we're just gonna watch Pacific Rim right now. Um, <laughs> we're gonna just, do a live commentary. Whatever, whatever. I mean, what? How is it not dumb? Um, I, mean, I have problems with some of the characters. I have problems 
Yeah, but the, the, there, there mean, are a lot of I problems. Mean, all with the, of the little emotional things that happen between the characters are are could be written by a twelve year old. Uh, I mean, it's complete. Yeah. I mean, everything that happens that isn't monsters and robots is uh... okay. Is the monsters and robots dumb? No, no. Okay, because it's monsters okay. and robots punching each okay, other. Okay, so it's all the stuff that's not monsters and robots. All the stuff that's monsters and robots, but that's the secret of the kaiju genre is that you can't possibly, no matter how much money you have, make a kaiju film without at least fifty percent of it being not monsters and robots. You know, this that's is absolutely true. Yeah, absolutely um, true. And while I agree with you, it's not a smart film. <laughs> I'm not a smart man. Um, <laughs> it's not a smart film. I actually really love the relationship between. Uh, Miko, Mako. What's her name? And what's his name? And yeah. no, and her father figure. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Idris, Idris Elba. Idris Elba, yeah. Idris Elba. <laughs> <laughs> I, and I love, See, this is what I'm saying. And I love Idris Elba in that film because I Idris love Elba everybody is just, loves, everybody good loves Idris Elba in everything, but. Uh, but I like their relationship. It is I, all right. It's okay. It's all that's right. The, that is the central relationship of that movie for and me. A, Every, everything with the damn. Well, that does redeem it because BS. everything else is, because every other relationship is, is, is predictable bullshit. Yeah. yeah. Um, but no, I mean, whatever the, you know, when fucking. Crimson Typhoon busts out the third arm. Everything is great. Everything is wonderful. With the, the sword. With the, no, no, no. Crimson Typhoon has the has the has the no, no, buzz the, saws. Yeah. The oh, third. but when but when yeah, I love that moment. But Dixie I also typhoon. love the moment like first off when the kaiju brings out its wings and I'm like what? when kaiju when the kaiju brings out the wings that is the and then best it's like thing. we have a sword we have I a sword. Even, there's there's not a good like toy or action figure of the of the of the kaiju with the wings and I'm like what the dumb. Fuck. <laughs> That's world dear, am I living in? Dear what? listeners, uh, the gestures that just happened were really <laughs> extraordinary. <laughs> and, but when the sword pops out, I'm like, of course they have a sword. Of course they have a yes! sword. Well, yeah. yeah. And see, and what and what's ha- also I'm I'm all, I'm going to do my own dear listeners. Dear listeners, I mean this is so here is why Pacific Rim works, because we're all flipping out about the wings coming out and the sword and the and the third arm with the buzzsaw. And that's what Pacific that's why Pacific Rim is a good movie. Um because of the third arm with the buzzsaw and the wings coming out and all this. It's a it's yeah. it's just amazing to watch all well, this. Well that, that that hold on. That and Ron Perlman. The and Ron Perlman. Ron Perlman. Um Ron Perlman. Ron, Ron Perlman. Perlman is pretty great. Ron yeah, Perlman. I want I want a TV show. My second favorite Sichuan place in Brooklyn. <laughs> yes, I want a TV show that's just all about the Ron Perlman character. I yes. would watch the I shit out of it. I would, yeah. yeah. That's a story. That's yeah, what I want to see. Yeah, yeah, but you're right. The scientists are needlessly goofy. The scientists are needlessly mm. goofy. Um, I do like there were two scientists. I do like there were two scientists. And they, they had different viewpoints and, and they, they but conflicted. needlessly goofy. Um, needlessly goofy. Totally. One thing they could have had two of was women. Yeah. <laughs> what if the two scientists had been females? Because thank you, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., They one of the scientists is a woman and she's nerdy Why, and smart not? and yeah. ter- capable yeah. and wonderful. And yeah, there's the who does she love and the other one and who loves her. But you know what? Romance is a factor in our lives. And I have decided to not get so up in arms about, oh, look, she's a woman. Therefore, it's all about the love angle. Because the great thing in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is she's oblivious <laughs> to it. And Sweet. she's just doing her fucking one job. One thing that's kind of amazing about Pacific Rim is that it's such a movie for 13-year-old boys, you know? I mean, well, yeah. This is absolutely and 100%. 44-year-old geek woman. Yeah, well, right. Well, you're a 44-year-old <laughs> geek woman who, who appreciates it. That's fine. But the point is, it is so 
just aimed at the heart of 13-year-old boys, and you're capable of appreciating that, and that is to your credit. But nevertheless, <laughs> I am I am still <clears throat> I am still making the claim that it is for 13-year-old boys. And and probably my ultimate, because I saw it with a friend of mine who speaks Japanese, and there's a part of it where the Japanese woman says to 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 our our, our lantern-jawed male lead, says Lantern uh, Brain. Uh, says, <laughs> yeah. says I love you. To him in Japanese, it's not translated. You don't know. I know this because I went to it with with a friend of mine who knows Japanese, and so uh, and so she says it in Japanese to the character, and I only know it because because of this and uh, because thirteen year old boys because nobody wants nobody the target audience of this film doesn't want to hear girls saying I love you to boys, um, <laughs> even though there is a love story in it. They still avoid that. They still skim over that because uh, uh, girls have cooties. Girls have cooties like. Like nobody, man. Damn. You have, have no idea. I've known a lot. Of <laughs> I've, known, I've known men with cooties, but not like girls with cooties. Uh, um, but yeah, no, I love Pacific Rim, but but the stuff that isn't robots and monsters is predictable and yeah, and uninteresting and not good. <laughs> so the future. Apparently, he's currently working. On Mountains of Madness, the HP Lovecraft. He always about. has been working on Mountains Forever. of Madness. Forever, I know. He's been working on Mountains of Madness now, since 2002, I know I think. that, but but, I, but I, I've read stuff where it, it seems to imply that it's like actually... That well, happens like every two years, Matt. Oh, God. Live the dream, no, no, Matt. Live I, the dream. I mean, I, I, I have talked that. to at least... 80 <laughs> comics artists who have worked with Guillermo del Toro on concept sooner. art. Because um, I want uh, my hands on that concept art. But I'm, but I'm really... I, you know, my personal theory is that Mountains of Madness is going to turn into Guillermo del Toro's Dune. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, it could very well be the case at this point. It's just... I mean, Mountains of Madness is, like most Lovecraft, a story that I adore. I'm a yes. huge Lovecraft guy. My favorite. Um, my favorite HP Lovecraft story, except no po possibly Rats in the Walls. Rats in the Walls is good. Love Rats in uh, the Walls. My own favorite is uh, is Color of Space, but that's his maybe. The point is, like <laughs> almost all Lovecraft, except for Shadow of Rinsmith, if you made a film out of it, and you did it straight, it would be a film in which nothing goddamn happens. You know? I oh, mean, yeah. It's, 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 it's a story about people realizing things <laughs> rather, than, <laughs> rather than anything well, actually. Well, hold film, on. How do you film Creeping Dread? Yeah. Well, there's that, and there's the six foot tall albino subterranean penguins. There's the six foot tall albino sub subterranean penguins, and also people realizing about cities being made with the services of giant pterodactyls. I mean, there's flashbacks <laughs> to be made that oh, are going to yeah. be rad as hell, but uh, I... Yeah, the, yeah. If the problem is you describe Earth, it in a book and it's fine, it's a, and then you put it on film and you go, oh... Wendy, if you're telling me that pterodactyls building a city is not going to look good on film, then you and I have, have beef. <laughs> you and I have issues. Pterodactyls building a city, I am down with you, man. That is the architecture at its finest. Absolutely. It's the six-foot-tall albino penguin, let's be honest. The well, that shows up, people are going uh, to be like, I got what? no defense for the six-foot-tall albino subterranean penguins, although I love them. I don't... <laughs> Who would love I mean, that? That is like the most effective anticlimax in Lovecraftian history. I have, I have, I have, I have a defense for the six foot tall albino subterranean penguins. Really? It's four words. <laughs> six foot tall. That's one word. 
albino subterranean penguins. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> But then by the end, wait, we'd be, we'd be snorting now. I just there's the shoggoth that's like a, tra- the there's train, the train shoggoth. Yeah, yeah, there's shoggoth. Well, there's the, the shoggoth. But... There's the train shoggoth that they run away from, and that's fine. And then, and and there's there's a flat, you know, there's an implicit scene of violence where they wake up the elder thing and it murders everyone in the other camp. Well, yeah, um, and yeah, that's, that's and, important. And we'll see that, and that's fine. I just if but... anyone on earth but Gamma del Toro were making at the Mountains of Madness, you know, in the studio system. I'd be like, go to hell. You know, this is not going to work yeah. out. There's, there's nobody ever walks away calmly from an explosion in the mountains in, at Mountains of Madness, and you know, and that's what we're that's what we would be getting under normal circumstances. Del Toro, Del Toro, I'll give the benefit of the doubt. The 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 funny thing is though, the original story, the gotcha moment, because at the end of every Lovecraft story is a gotcha moment. Yeah, there there's always like the last sentence of the story is the oh my god, it's worse than I ever thought. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the 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 final words of Mountains of Madness involve, oh my god, there's more mountains. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that'll work great. One thing that Lovecraft and Del Toro have in mind, and people don't really realize this about Lovecraft, it only comes through in a couple of the stories. Whenever Lovecraft talks about the ghouls, he does it in, in, uh, in Shadow Out of Time, and he does it in Mountains of Madness, there's a part of Lovecraft... I mean, Lovecraft's writing these horror stories about these monsters, and he wants you to be scared of the monsters, but Lovecraft, like the modern nerd, kind of is in love with his monsters. Oh, and there's, yes. And there's, and there's a thing, and there's a thing where uh, one of the realizations, because Lovecraft is all about realizations, there's a thing in Mountains of Madness where the protagonist realizes that the Elder Things, the creators of this bizarre ancient city, were men, quote-unquote, because, yeah. because they were thinking intelligent people. For all of their horribleness, they were men, you know? And, <laughs> not uh, women. Not Definitely women, not, not women. Not ladies. Not women. Uh, not women at all. But, uh, but, but you see what I'm saying here is that, is that the Elder Things, for all of their scariness in the Mountains of Madness, are ultimately kind of sympathetic. Yes. Um, and uh, while still being, you know, these radial symmetry weirdnesses. And, and <laughs> there's no one there's no one working in Hollywood right now who, who would be better at that. Oh, I agree. Than Del Toro. I agree. Del Toro is the man for that. I, I for that, would very much balance. like to have Guillermo del Toro's Mountains of Madness existing in my life. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's just... I don't for a second believe it'll happen yeah. in my lifetime. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> I'll believe it when I see it. If it if it happens, I'll be ecstatic. Well, and it's mostly because seriously, what studio is really going to put money down on that? I thought that. See, I thought something was happening. I thought there well, was no it, news. It, you know, you know, because Peter Jackson will say, bankroll for him for just about anything. But you can. But say the thing, that the nerds will come out for it, right? This has a built-in audience, but the problem is that audience is very niche. And no. there is very little crossover appeal. Well, for truly love crap. I'm not here's, talking about any of this. Here's the thing. Um, Mountains of Madness, you can sell to a general audience because there is an element of high adventure to it because it's about Antarctica, Antarctica. exploration. Yeah. There, there is a way to build a trailer that would get people into theaters. Yeah. I feel, well, and honestly, I feel like they could do it either as adventure or adventure into horror. You yeah. thought it was an adventure tale, but it turns into horror because, I mean, they made In the Mouth of Madness with Sam Neill and yeah. it wasn't great, but... No. Um, yeah. but terrible. it was made. It was and, fun. Yeah. It certainly was fun, and it did have that very definite vibe. And <laughs> Jürgen Prochnow. <laughs> did you ever tell you my favorite color is blue? <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, no, yeah. the, no. The problem is, I mean, there, there's money. He could get money for that movie. That I mean, that's what wet is for. But the the thing about Del Toro is, like I said earlier, he's got like nine different movies in the hopper at any right. given time. I know, I know, he's been and, making it for and whichever years, one yeah. inches forward above the rest, that's the one he's focusing his attention on. And right. I think. Mountains of Madness always takes the back burner yeah. because it because that's the one that's not inching forward. It yeah. just it, sort of he wants it, to it, do it, it but it's not, it doesn't really have its own life. Yeah. yeah. So okay, hopefully. let's wrap this up. Yeah. All right. So we Del Toro, we, we like him. Yes, definitely. Now we need to do <laughs> what do we need the to do? Questions. Are yes, there questions for Matt. There yeah. are questions. There are four questions. They're very easy. Okay, great. I very like easy. easy. Okay. Here. Okay. Question number one. Mm. Who are you? I'm Matt Kesson. Yay! Thank you. I told you. I told you. You got a twenty-five percent pass rate. Right <laughs> yes. Far. Okay. All right. All right. I'm feeling it. I'm, okay. I'm feeling the the energy. Excellent. Question number two, Matt. What do you do? Uh, boy, that's harder. Um, <laughs> I know, right? It becomes very deeply philosophical. I have, a, I, have a, I have a job that got discussed earlier, which is that I work security. But but screw that. Uh, I uh, I I do a website called Reverend Matt's Monster Science, in which I do in which I teach people in which I teach the people of the world about about monsters with jokes. Um, and then I also uh, do a bit of theater with a group called Green Tea Productions, um, which normally lets me play non-human archvillains and it is the best uh most played, recently most recently how yes um from 2001 i've also played uh i've also played smaug um from the hobbit we did that and we're about to do the ramayana where i have not been cast yet but i'm kind of I'm, my fingers are crossed for ravana who is the king of the demons so be, that would be amazing very nice that's too and you are actually a reverend, yes? Yeah, I don't believe in God or anything, so don't worry about that. But, uh, yeah, no, I'm a, I'm a legally ordained minister. I've done 17 legal weddings. Yay! Uh, Atheist yay. ministers! Yeah. Yay! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yes, look me up. You need you need your wedding done by, by somebody who swears a lot and talks about Del Toro online? Then I am absolutely your man. A, a, Reasonable a man, rates. What? Yeah. A man with tremendous voice powers. Oh, please. Um, question number three question number three what's question number three what is in your personal pleasure dome okay so if Xanadu, what is in my personal pleasure dome if Kublai Khan said Matt Xanadu you get to build a pleasure Kublai dome mm-hmm. uh-huh. what would you be like in my pleasure dome this is what I got uh well I mean, how much room is in my man cave? As much as, as you much need. as you want. Okay, so yeah, so my man cave is a whole alternate dimension. That is that Sweet. is uh, that is mostly dinosaurs. Um, it is it is a it is a. Uh, are there pterodactyls a, you can ride? Pteranodons, Ter- pardon me. Well, no, pteranodons. No, that's a whole thing unto itself. Uh, specifically, Quetzalcoatlus or Hetzagopteryx, you can ride those. Um, <laughs> I would totally ride those. Yeah, there's a paper about Sweet. this where there's where there's two giant late Cretaceous. Cre- well, well. Uh, Anyway, um, <laughs> but it's not even a paper. But somebody wrote an article. There's there's these two giant late Cretaceous pterosaurs called called Quetzalcoatlus and Hatsagopteryx, and they're so big that somebody wrote, that actual scientists wrote an article where they where they figured out 
whether or not if they were alive right now, you could strap yourself to the back of one of them and it could take off and and bear you all off. And the answer was yes. Um, but anyway, so uh, so there would be there would be yeah ter- pterosaurs and dinosaurs and stuff like that. Uh, let's see. Well, yeah, basically I'd have a dimension full of full of dinosaurs. Um, we'd probably throw some Bigfoots and stuff in there. Um, monsters are my thing. I was I was talking. Would they about be friendly monsters or would they be monsters in their own element? I would have. They'd be monsters in their own element. I mean, they would be no. They would be no threat to me. Um, I would be on their side. Um, <laughs> okay. But interlopers. They would destroy. Okay. Um, so, if, so if you had the Matt Kessel seal of approval, you could come visit, and they'd be like, "Hey, good to yeah, see you." Yeah, exactly right. But if you didn't, if you somehow gained access to my dimension without the Matt Kessel seal of approval, rended limb from limb by any number of unspeakable which you have to admit that would be the most awesome way that'd be the best to commit way. suicide, right? Right, like to, to break into Matt Kesson's pleasure dimension. dome and be rent limb yeah. from limb by <laughs> by pterodactyls. Like, you want to commit euthanasia? You know what I want to do? I want to be eaten by a fucking dinosaur. So dinosaurs, there'd be, be, there'd be dinosaurs, probably some griffins. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. Okay. Uh, some bigfoots. A number, a number of. Mytholo- I like that you say bigfoots, not big feet. Because that's not how language works. Um, bigfoots <laughs> is is what they're called, um, and uh, it's the same with oct- with uh, with uh, with your octopus. A bunch, and this is a fact. A bunch of octopuses is a bunch of octopuses, not a bunch of octopi, because octopi means eight feet rather than. I actually know that because yeah. I'm I like linguistics, this but I still like fact. to say the word octopi because it makes me. I also like octopod. Well, that's, octopod's good. That is your right as an American. Um, the <laughs> that's uh, right. I have right. No way. There Do would I be super intelligent apes. Anything? Super intelligent apes would also would also be involved. Mm, um, very good. Yeah. Okay. At, at risk of at risk of prattling on, I'll call it there. Okay. Uh, answer number four. Number four is give us a pleasure dome recommendation. Something that you have found recently that delights you that you would want to share with others. I discovered this about about I'm going to say about four years ago, and I've been extremely evangelical about it since then. I have been with you, Melissa. Yeah. Oh well, yes. Um, and um, and I've I've shown it to a bunch of people, and everyone likes it. I mean, some people love it, and some people just like it, but that's fine. But it's a friggin' French film from either late 2009 or early 2010 called The Extraordinary Adventures of Adele Blanc Sec. And it's and, amazing. Yeah, and it's by Luc Besson, who you know who makes films that people see. And and uh, and yet, very very little uh, publicity for it in America. It took it a long time for the, it. Took it several years, in fact, for it to be released in on DVD or Blu-ray in America at all. And Shout, Shout Factory finally took care of that. And it's just a it's a film that I that I purchased for very bad reasons that I purchased a lot of movies for. It had the pterodactyl in it. <laughs> um, it's true, and it had a really, really cute girl in it. Um, these are bad reasons. I knew these were bad reasons going into it, but I did it anyway because this is how I live my life. And then I watched it, and it was good. It was just really good, really fun, really well paced, really, really entertaining film. And I've shown it to dozens, literally dozens of people, and everybody likes it. Yes, and, it, it uh, is. It is like a. Indiana Jones film where Indiana Jones is a French woman in Belle Epoque Paris in in Belle Epoque Paris with dinosaurs and mummies and steampunk. Yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 terrific. How do you not love it? I know, go see, right? Go see this thing. It's 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 terrific. That is my that is it, my recommendation. It is absolutely delicious. I, I'm, oh, glad, I'm very glad you good. feel that way. Very yeah. good. Very awesome. good. Awesome. Yeah, very awesome. good. 
Awesome. Would you like to close it? Oh, yes. So, listeners, thank you for joining us for another episode of Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. I have been Wendy. That has been... Melissa. And we've been joined by... Matt was me. Yay. Yay. It's been so much fun as we've talked about Guillermo del Toro. <laughs> Guillermo of the bull. <laughs> I'm a big fat bull with man tits. <laughs> A bull would not have udders. And then the female bull, which is the cow, would have an udder uh, instead yeah. of tits. Yeah, so it, I don't uh, feel yeah. More science deep. facts. Wendy's having a moment. <coughs> There's With fire in my mouth. Scotch. Scotch. Scotch is, scotch this, is week's, on fire. this week's drink. Oh, it crawled up into my sinus cavity and wow. It didn't literally crawl. No, it did. She's it, using metaphor. No, it did.